You're listening to the Nerd to Know Media Network. Join us at nerdtoknowmedia.com. Broadcasting from the Blanchestan Center. This is Phoenix FM. The internet is a communications tool used the world over where people can come together to teach about the research. According to the Nerd Index, you should be upside down in a junior high toilet around the clock. This is the day that won't be Tag is in, tag is out. Never miss communication. It's over 9,000. My name is Foxy. The balls are in there. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Nerd to Know Basis Show, airing on Phoenix 92.5 FM and all those other wonderful places on the internet like Spotify and our own website. I am Kean, and with me is Kev this week. Kev, Yay. lovely to see you. So, lovely to see you. How are you doing? Not sleeping, because that's parenthood. Waka waka. Da, 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 da. News. Womp. Now, so, uh, before we hopped on the microphone, I'll, now, I'll give you a rundown in the knowledge that we will not get to everything, but just a sort of a quick overview. Since our last episode, Loki has ended. Uh, we also, Lower Decks has ended recently enough. There is some Pokemon and Doctor Who news. We'll try to get to all of it. We promise nothing. But I believe before we started recording, you had some Warner's news that you wanted to disclose. Oh, yes, actually, though, side note first, because we never get to it and we had meant to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Since we recorded last, the actor strike has ended. <laughs> Properly. Properly, a deal has been struck. Okay, so what is like the broad strokes of uh, what uh, the SAG actors got? Uh, improved pay for the most part, better benefits. The big, the big, big thing for the actors was protection from generative AI. Okay, and copyings. Now, there's been contention among actors in the union about how good the protections in the current deal are. Right. Uh, apparently it is very easy to circumvent them. Like maybe it only litigates a certain form of software or something like... Well, it's more that it's very, like, it's very easy to get around them if the actor is added posthumously. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. Uh, so... so sort of a Rogue One situation, like... Yeah, and, like, that's because, like, a, a huge thing that happened in a very short span before the strike kicked off was that a lot of particularly background, like, jobber actors, people who kind of live paycheck to paycheck on this, uh, were called in to be scanned by oh, studios. Oh, like Bojack Horseman, right. Yeah, pretty exactly. <laughs> um, I think one, I couldn't tell you the show, something launched on Disney+, Plus, some teen drama, gotten a lot of flack for clearly having AI background actors. <laughs> 
because oh, see, see, I want to see them like walking into walls and like glitching, like people in the background of Grand Theft Auto or something like that. Oh, it's yeah, no, it's like under scrutiny. It's I think it's particularly I think it's a crowd shot at like a pep rally in like a like a high school gym, like sitting on bleachers. Under scrutiny, they are not people. They are a bunch <laughs> of flesh. Is it it's like a, is it like an early Simpsons thing where you say see like the same five people over and over or anything like that or uh, just more like people proportions are odd people are just missing fingers and eyes <laughs> bad bad stuff um but yeah that's 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 but just kind of not to get absolutely swamped in something I've just thrown at you. <laughs> We had that is the follow. So currently there is no longer any strikes in Hollywood. Right. However, as always, this is only the beginning because as of next year, the Theatre Actors Guild and the Animation Guild contracts go up. And right. expect more strikes. And did the writers get what they were looking for as well then? Uh, it seems like the general consensus, the writer's strike, the writer's uh, contract was very lucrative for the writers. Oh, okay, um, all right. Like, that's... Like, the reason you'll see headlines about, like, a lot of the Marvel shows coming out being, like, now we have defined showrunners and the writers' rooms expanded, that's because of the strike. Right. Um, now writers have to have a defend, have to have a definite amount of writers on staff. Those writers have to be on set while the show is filming, and the show has to have a dedicated showrunner. Right. I noticed I that we had all those things already, to be honest. No, notice that none of them were required. Oh dear. Uh the commonplace was you'd have four writers sit in a dark room before 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 uh uh filming, and that was the writing process. <laughs> Bleak stuff. So no, the writers seem to have come out of this very well. Okay. Uh the actors mostly like better than they were, but probably room for improvement. Okay. Um, but, but the actors joined in solidarity with the writers in the first place, wasn't it? No, it made the same oh, sort of yeah. reason. No, no, made the same reason. Uh, two okay. different unions, both contracts just ended at roughly the same time. Okay. All right. So, like, what, like, uh, I know obviously this is kind of an unfair question, but what meaningful difference do you think this will have on the industry and on the entertainment that's made and all that kind of stuff? Well, I mean, I think you're going to see a, a a marked improvement in quality with written work because writers can actually add to the show as it is being produced, as opposed to just having give, just handing in a script and that being the be all end all. Hmm. Um, I don't think, like, in terms of a notable difference to the consumer, you probably won't notice a lot. Okay. But it, like, this isn't for us necessarily it's it's for the people working behind the scenes uh it's it's the people who want to write for a show and can put food on the table yes like it's 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 a mark improvement of life for the people working on it and i imagine like you said if there isn't a writer on set a lot of things like you know a lot of sort of meddling would happen in between you like you say handing a script and what turns up on the day and all that kind of stuff like exactly no like that's it i think i was reading i think it was george R. R. martin actually put up a blog post uh in the middle of the strike um was outlining how the differences between filming for cable networks and 80s kind of blockbuster movies was so entirely different to modern ones because 
even novice writers, like bottom rung writers, would get brought in and brought on set and be a part of the team and kind of actually right make an impact on the work. And that's it, that's it how you like the way theater is made. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and that's that was just a non-existent culture in Hollywood over the past like two decades. It's funny you mention that actually because. Um... Uh, I was reading on how uh, you know Neil Gaiman's uh, Neverwhere. Did you ever yes. read that one? Never read it, but uh, I know it. Okay, uh, it's it's the weird one where there was a TV show and Neil Gaiman did write it, but like he was relatively new. I'm not sure if it was before or during American Gods, but basically every time he would write something and like the producers or whoever would like veto it they like you know he would say well when i write the book of this it's going to be this way and then to the point where like even the producers were going you don't like it put it in your book <laughs> and and so the book neverwhere was written as an adaptation of the finished tv show out of seemingly sheer pettiness <laughs> but it illustrates like how the writer isn't god of the television process you know even though that was something he created oh there's there's a there's a fistful of those sorts of uh, examples more than more often than you think in that sort of scenario because mm. both Scott Pilgrim and Akira were produced in that way where really? an adaptation happened in the middle of their production that then <laughs> altered the course of the actual original product right. yeah 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 but I'm glad to hear like now you know because the kind of the quote that always kind of haunts me is uh I can't remember her name off the top of my head, but the showrunner of uh, Jessica Jones, mm. um, she said a few times, like, you know, people kind of asked her, like, you know, what are you most proud of or all that kind of stuff? And she said, what I'm most proud of is what I prevented from getting into shows I'm working on rather than what I put in. Like, mostly in regards to the way women are written or stuff. Like, you know, oh, like, yeah. no, that that isn't cool. Axe slash, you know. So, and that co- seems to come from a culture of, writer does one thing but the person with the money goes yes but the think groups like the color orange so everyone everything's going to be orange this episode like all that kind of jazz you know yeah no 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 too right hopefully that'll that'll kick a bunch of that out but you know corporate greed is an ever-present uh an ever-present monster in this industry which on the topic of corporate greed warner brothers do be at it again <laughs> Interesting. Okay, um, I don't know what Warner Brothers was doing before, so I'm a well. If, if we here. if we cast our eyes back a couple of months, you might recall a little movie called Batgirl that was fully produced and finished, and then got shelved. Never oh, seen yes, of, day. of course, the Brendan Fraser epic. Yes. Yeah. Um. Well, Warner Brothers have done that again with right. a Coyote and Roadrunner movie that was fully animated, fully finished, and has now been shelved for a tax write-off. Uh, however... Oh, I see. Also, so it's been made and they're not racing it. Yep. Fully, yeah, complete movie. And by all accounts, there was test screenings of it. A very good movie at that. Okay. Uh, that, at least, when, uh, upon this announcement, would never have seen the light of day. But unlike Batgirl, this has now caused several wrinkles that that did not. Well, in wrinkles in what sense? So first off, this this movie has now been they've decided now 
to shop this movie around to different studios. Okay, a bit so, like the, the Star Trek uh, Prodigy thing, which we never covered, by the way. That's back. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, that sort of thing. So, like, I think, uh, yeah, like other major studios, you know, Disney, Netflix, there. See, they seem to be, there seems to be a bit of a bidding war on this movie. Right. Which, if that goes through, that would make it the first Looney Tunes cartoon in nearly 100 years of its production to not be released via Warner Brothers. <laughs> oh, that's a thinker. Okay. Because like, the Looney Tunes films have kind of have like, what is there? There's like Space Jam, there's Back in Action, which well, I there's, okay, but no one seems to like. And then there's they're, a- they're the live action ones, but there's like, you know, dozens of animated Looney Tunes shorts. Oh, and movies. yeah, all yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Like this, this isn't a, this isn't a crossover. This is a straight cut Coyote Roadrunner movie. <laughs> Oh, I thought there were live action elements to it. There might be. I don't. I hadn't heard. I okay. All right. It's mostly animated. Right. Um. But on top of that, so that's that's one thing. Is that's kind of a crazy uh, result of this. Hmm. But the other is that the U.S. government have now noticed this, <laughs> and a U.S. senator is now launching a federal investigation into Warner Brothers. To because I quote, doing this tax write-off scheme feels like burning down a house and claiming the insurance money. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what I was going to ask you once I heard a bit more information because surely something is a bit off if you can oh. fully make a movie and it's you make more money off not releasing it. I get that if it's like an absolute flop or something, but even then, you wouldn't get your money back in a normal world. So, like, Certainly. what's I, going I, on here? I don't know the specifics. I don't know what. I can only imagine it is some sort of a loophole. Okay. I was actually uh, talking to it with uh, with my fiance. The best reasoning we can reckon is if the movie bo- is is some sort of fail safe that if the movie bombs, it's a way to recoup the costs to pay back debts and pay off the, the workers who right. worked on the movie, so that you don't you're not completely out of money. It's it's it. There is a a tax claimant. So that it doesn't bankrupt the movie, uh, because as well, like you know, keep in mind a lot of some some productions actually rely on uh, tourism budgets, and you know, some countries rely on the business involved in these films mm. for a major part of their GDP. Oh, I see. So, like, They're- kind of like. We'll routinely film in this part of New Zealand once a year, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Whatever we do like, again, product is a different matter. Like, you know. Actually, uh, just to kind of aside a, a note on that, uh, it came out recently, it came out, I think, today, that the second season of Netflix's Wednesday is actually going to be filmed in Ireland. Oh, nice. Uh, I believe the first season was filmed in Romania. They quoted technical uh, and logistical difficulties. I knowing Ireland, I suspect there is better tax breaks for them. I would have thought so. Yeah, I mean we've some good classic Romanian forests here, as you well know. Yeah. So, uh, like that's, but that's it. Like I think a lot of, a lot of locations rely on those sorts of productions. So there, there would be money that needed. But I reckon Warner Brothers just found this sort of a loophole and was like, well, we might as well just claim the free money. <laughs> Yeah, because, like, don't get me wrong, I do get that, like, say, with a mo- with a normal blockbuster movie or something, half the money you spend is going to end up being on marketing. And even if you circumvent that by putting it on stream, 
um like there is like a huge cost once the thing is made but still it does seem inherently dodgy that you can put all the money into making something and it's cheaper to not release it that speaks to some really dodgy tax stuff oh certainly like like on top of a lot of things it's also a way to dodge having to pay royalties to the cast (laughs) That's true. And it, it speaks to like that whole thing of like, I mean, I can't name specific examples off the top of my head, but like, you know, the sort of the executives who find a way to not pay any money in tax and then still claim a tax reboot or whatever it is. Like, yeah, you know. no. Yeah. David Zaslav has kind of become the, the icon of corporate greed in Hollywood. Yeah. Uh, so that they, I, he, the, the, this Senator, I don't have his name in front of me. And, um, that says he wants to launch an investigation. I don't know if anything has come up, but we may not see this tactic happen very often again if this sort of oversight comes in. Okay. All right, good. Because, like, you know, I mean, don't get me wrong. I like entertainment, but, like, the people who make it deserve to be taken care of. I can't believe that has to be said, like... Yeah, and also, you know, even even bad art deserves to still be available oh absolutely i mean we talked about this last year when shows were just vanishing off the face of the internet because there was no physical media you know oh that's a whole other problem that just but it's all tied up on the same thing you know yeah like right off thing like prodigy we mentioned earlier like yeah like that's yeah prodigy now uh, thankfully has become up to netflix the one that guts me and it came up around halloween is that there is no actual way to watch over the garden wall what? It's not on any streaming service. You can't buy it on demand digitally anywhere. And I think there was a limited run of DVDs that might only be US specific right. that now go. But it was for, on Netflix and everything. Like was on Netflix is not anymore. Oh no, because you can't rely on these sort on these streaming licenses. Mm. Uh, but that's it. Like yeah, it's it's it it's it's crazy that now. We're like that. The, the the streaming landscape has kind of brought back up this this concept of ethereal media yeah. that could just vanish at the top of hat. I think even Christopher Nolan's come up now, trying to to release the Blu-ray version of Oppenheimer that is as real, that is as genuine to the cinema experience as possible in like in home format. Yeah. Uh, because of his, I think to quote, no, no sneaky streaming service can take it away from you. Oh, well, that goes back to like when Scorsese was complaining about the one and a half speed Netflix button and all that. You can't really kind of control it once it's up there. Like, yeah. No, that's I, I'll always be a proponent to physical media. Oh, absolutely. Like one day I will probably have to bite the bullet and get these Marvel things before someone deletes them off the face of the Internet, you know. Uh, which actually is as decent a segue as any. Have you seen the Loki finale? I did. I finally got around to watching it um, a couple days later. I actually I watched, because the last we were talking, I'd only watched up to episode four, so I watched, mm. managed to catch those last two. And I, gro- I groaned and griped those last two episodes are very good. Mm. Um, which only frustrates me more than I thought the first four were incredibly dull. Yeah, well, I mean, it is kind of like, I was thinking, because we talked about this last week, 
Yeah. And, you know, I was very positive on Loki season two and the you and Dara weren't. And one thing I'll concede compared to series one was that every episode of season one had a very, very memorable identity. You had like, you know, the Loki and Mobius episode mm. running around in disaster. You had the Loki and Sylvie episode trying to catch the train. You had the episode with old man Loki and all that. And this series kind of meshed a bit more together. Not not quite as bad as the other Disney Plus things where like the Falcon feels like a movie split up into bits, but still a bit more kind of lost. Yeah, I think my my big thing is that episode five was the crux where I really kind of found my frustration hitting, which is the one where he goes and split, gets split amongst the timeline. He's yeah. time slipping again. Because I looked at that and I thought, this is the perfect setup. Mm. for what should have been the start that's of a really two. good point yeah because you could still find victor timely in that premise you know oh easily like you could have slotted all the essential plot beats into that format yeah. but still have the running conflict of loki has to find all these people that don't it could recognize be like a treasure him. hunt like one episode every episode you get one back like exactly kind of and thing. like that's like, yeah. you'd still cover those plot beats but you'd have interesting locations to mm. kind of go to and make them more memorable as opposed yeah. to three episodes looped in the TVA mm. and just kind of them spinning their wheels. It that's it frustrated me to no end. And then, like, just like imagine for a second if you had four to five episodes of that of him figuring out, slipping through the timeline, finally getting all of these TVA members to remember him or to trust him in some fashion. And then him mastering the slipping. And after four episodes, going back to that moment where the uh the 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 time coil, yes. the yeah, yeah. That where that ruptures and him have then realizing he has to puzzle his way out. It would have been spectacular. Yeah, I'm sure you could do a good job just editing these pieces into like that order with what's there. I mean, you could very easily just take what's there and make it into Loki and Mobius essentially doing that show sliders or quantum leap, you know? Yeah. No, like that's, it, it, it was a very good ending to what I think is a mediocre TV show that had so much more potential. Um, I don't, I'm not as harsh on season two as you are. I think it's, I really liked its atmosphere. I like compared to the other Marvel things. It did feel like a bit of a chamber piece. All these like quirky characters just locked in a, in, what is both a big and a small space butting heads trying to all come up with what is because there's no villains they're all just they all just have different ideas of how to fix the universe and that's kind of weirdly compelling to me but i but yeah i will agree that like the finale really like pulled it all back and have you seen those like side by sides of like lines from the first thor film being put into like the end of like Oh, all that kind of stuff to make it feel certainly like that's journey, like that's I think why I like the end of season two so much is because it's if it's it's less an end to this single season and more an end to Loki's entirety of his arc. Yes. Um to, to get to get into spoilers, uh him having to destroy all of the disparate timelines and then use his god powers to re-energize them. Hmm. And like that, and yeah, it's 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 the tragedy of him 
not having not lost his interest in the throne across the past mm. two seasons, but then having to begrudgingly accept his glorious purpose. Yes. Oh, I think, absolutely. Yeah. Like, I think it's, I think it's actually great. Um, and I've seen people kind of linking the idea of him potentially being the time stone itself. Mostly now, because I, it is green, green, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's, that's, that could be a link. They probably thought, well, he it's green and he's green. Yeah. Two good flavors come together. But yeah. then you're getting into the whole time, like, because he's doing that, does that mean he's been there for all time? Like, that kind of, like, when you get into, like, the four-dimensional chess or whatever it is. You yeah, know? like, how how out of time is the TVA that this could have happened thousands of years? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's a strange one. Uh, but as, like, in, in, in terms of sheer thematics... I I did really enjoy it. Um, and I think Hiddleston absolutely knocked it out of the park. I fully expected him uh, a press release to say he's done and he's hired, he's hung up his cloak. But uh no, he's he said that there is he he doesn't ex- he doesn't want to give people the expectation that he'll never come back. <laughs> well, the showrunner has said we only ever plan to do two seasons. So if Loki comes back, it's not in a Loki series three. Yeah. I think I think the Hiddleston's quote was, "Well, I said I wouldn't come back several times." <laughs> that kind so of goes hand in hand with how many times he's died. Yes, yeah, so he's like, "So kind." It's kind of a well, who's to say at this point? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, not yeah. Me. No, I mean, totally. I could see in some Thor film in the future, maybe like a quick, like two-minute scene between the two of them in the same way that like Killmonger came back for a quick two minute thing. And like, you know, the second black Panther film, you know, just uh, another like small note that I thought of when I was watching it was not like in very close proximity to each other. We had Loki introduce a, an alternative, an alternative female version of his character mm. and Thor introduce an alternative female version of his character and neither of these plot threads had any link to each other and i just think that's that is a that is a management oversight well and to be fair loki also introduced the idea of like thor as a frog yeah no i I just think that like for for that to have happened separately separately in roughly the same writing span It feels like Feige should have put those links together and said, maybe we could do something with this. <laughs> oh, like what? Like a Jane Foster and Sylvie road trip? or like- I don't even know. Like, just, it's just like something where they're just not two fully separate identities. I don't know. Yeah. That's just a stray thought I had. Um, no, it's a good point now. Obviously, it's more spoilers. We can't, like, Jane Foster won't be coming back. Like, you know. <laughs> yeah, uh, fair. But, like... But yeah, no, I did like how it all wrapped up and the idea that uh, he gets his throne in the end. And he's essentially, because like I said, they took the lines that he says after he like nukes the frost giants to try and please uh, please Odin back in the first one. And he says those lines again as he's heading to go put everything right. So like there is, there's a sense that he's finished his journey properly, which is not something we really get in Marvel. Things don't end ever. So it was very nice to have a closure on something, you know? Yeah, no, it, it, it's a good sense of finality. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it, I, 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 yeah, I, I kind of hope they don't 
they don't try to touch that for at least a, a while. No, no. The You'd have to break... If the universe broke a fair bit and then he came back as like a nice surprise in four or five years. But I'm quite happy with his like journey being over. Like I don't want... I don't want Loki back as like an ensemble player. Sylvie? Yeah. Maybe? You know? Her character isn't done and she's free now. If you desperately needed a Loki type, she could wander I, in and out, I suspect. But I would be glad for her to do anything because she did nothing that season. She worked in a McDonald's like a pro. God, they must have paid Disney so much money for that. <laughs> <laughs> well, how, how much will it cost to get a Loki in our McDonald's? <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and say too much. <laughs> um, ooh, actually, while I have the segue, speaking of um, female versions, female alternative versions of uh, classical superheroes, Kian, have you heard of Madame Web? I know her from the comics. I, ha- I haven't seen the, this is a Sony thing, is it? Sony's at it again. <laughs> Just throwing stuff at the wall. And ironically, nothing is sticking to the wall. Unless. <laughs> I think Venom stuck pretty well. It it gooed itself to the wall and kind of very slowly slithered down like custard I'm, thrown in, a, in an argument at a dinner table. And blessed I lock that custard up. <laughs> Delicious. <laughs> um, but no, this is this Sony. So even actually, for a start, I fully thought Craven had come and gone. That movie got pushed back to next year. No, no, it's again like to go back to your Warner's thing. The trailer came out. No one seemed to like it in the Morbius fashion, and they just buried it and pretended it never existed. No, no, they didn't I, I, go I full I... pixels and delete it. But no yeah. one like there was no like hype machine after yeah. that trailer release. No, I I looked it up. They they they're set to release it sometime next summer. What a what a weird model of movie making. <laughs> Let's release this big budget thing quietly and hope no one notices. <laughs> but I I believe it said summer. Madam Web is now. Yeah, Madam Web is now coming out before it, <laughs> which is another in the line of. Well, Sony has some of the Spider-Man IP rights, yeah. so they're just going to keep making movies. Um, it's like this... it's like building a Star Wars universe without Jedi, guns, Mandalorian, stormtroopers, but you have no. the gonk droids. Oh, no, so this thing, I, it, it's almost the reason I love the Sony stuff is because there's no real attempt at any interconnectivity. There will oh, be, they're, they're, there they're will... just, like you said, seeing what sticks, you know? Yeah, there will be a a nod towards it, but there will be no effort in trying to actually like. Do you remember that Vulture is in that universe now? <laughs> yeah, I mean it's tentatively linked to the actual MCU. Tentatively, but I rewatched the three Spider-Man films, the Tom Holland ones, mm. uh, just because they were on Netflix. Which set up like, you know, Scorpion being friends with the Vulture and then setting up the Sinister Six to come into the MCU. I guess not. Now that Vulture has jumped universe and seemingly is not concerned that his family is not with him. No, like that being his entire motivation in the first in his only movie. No, because Sony don't care about that. (laughs) So I actually because I have no sense of the comics. I want to break down who the main players in the Madam Web movie are to you, 
and see if this makes any sense okay. to you. Can I just say before you start, I haven't seen this trailer. I don't know anything about this film. The only thing I know about Madame Webb is that she was some kind of like elderly psychic who yeah. helped Spider-Man out. But that's as far as I know. Like Ezekiel was a bigger presence in Spider-Man's life than Madame Webb. And you do not know who Ezekiel is, I'm assuming. Actually, I do know because oh, really? he, is going to be, he is also going to be in this movie. Oh, interesting. Okay, um, all right. So, so tell me more. First off, I did look that up. Madam Webb is supposed to be an old woman. Uh, in this, she is not. She will be played by Dakota Johnson of Fifty Shades of Grey. Okay. Uh, so she is playing Cassandra Webb. So she is Spider-Woman, but with psychic powers. Also on the roster, we have Julia Carpenter, a.k.a. Spider-Woman. We have Maddie Wait, Franklin. Is this the Jessica Drew Spider-Woman? I have no idea, Kian. I don't know the comics. Okay, because there's like three of them floating around the place. Because it's funny you say that because we also have Maddie Franklin, who is also called Spider-Woman. Right, okay. And on top of that, we now have Anya Corazon playing Aranya. <laughs> so this is a movie with at one point four Spider-Woman. Spider-Woman. Right. So there we are. We got all three. <laughs> and... I, you know what? The movie looks perfectly okay. I am unreasonably excited. Why, though? I, there's something about just the idea of Sony being, of Sony thinking to themselves. Well, what haven't we done? Okay, Spider-Woman. But how do we maximize how many people are interested? We put four of them in it. I mean, four Spider-Women means four times as much money. That, yeah, basic maths. I don't know, again, I, like... I'll, there's always something interesting going on with the Sony movies, be it for better or worse. Mm. I'll, I, I think I will always stand by them because, it, listen, we we all love that. Is that Ezekiel? No, it's Morbius. Tragically, <laughs> that's Morbius. Yeah, no, that's exactly. Listen, Sony's had its its peaks and its crevices. Morbius is certainly one of them. Yeah, it's like, well, I mean, it's not the worst thing in the world. I don't, I, I watched it and like, it's fine. I mean, the last 15 minutes was CGI sludge, but I didn't hold it against Venom. I'm not going to hold it against this. Uh, it's just yeah. a kind of forgettable movie, which is why it was so weird that it was such a big thing on the internet, you know? Yeah, but I I think I'll always, I'll, I'll always feel the want to support Sony in this weird Marvel outlier endeavor. Do you remember because, the Sony hack a few years ago? Oh, vaguely, I can't remember anything. Where, like, you know, it's they. I I can't remember the specifics of how it happened, but like, oh, was this where we faded the stuff at Sinister Six movie they were planning? Yeah, like you know, with like Jonah Jonah Hill as like Sandman, and like it was, it gave the vibe of like because we talk about throwing things at the wall. I was like, oh, well, what if this is Doc Ock? What if this? What is that? Like, there's no like story. It was just like, what if this, but that, you know, and we can have 15 Sinister Six films and all of them can have an extra Sinister si And like, you know, it's it's like, like I do a thing in drama called Story Circle where like, you know, every everyone gets to add one line to the story. Like that was more cohesive than that Sony thing, because at least when the kids tell a story, they just like add something organic onto it. This was like. Well, Craven and, and Venom can be friends in Hawaii and uh, like, you know, it's just like every random notion. Like, obviously, if it's like an unfinished document, it's not going to be like, you know, what phase two or something looks like. But it still gave the sense of where the priorities were at, you know? Yeah, just just spitballing. 
sheer. Yeah. Uh, I again, it's 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 not a good, it's not a sound business strategy. I Unfortunately, love it. it seems to be working though. <laughs> Can I ask though, is Silk Spectre at least like I don't know, set in the sixties or something, so that she'll be the right age by the time Tom Holland turns up or anything like that? Or uh, which one is Silk Spectre? <laughs> Not Silk Spectre, uh, Madam Web. I'm getting all my bloody spider women mixed up. Uh, uh, no, it lo- no, it looks like it is set in modern day New York. Lovely. Okay. People who make comic book movies know that other places exist, right? Apparently not. Apparently it's much easier to film them in their back garden. But like, they're not even filmed in New York though. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like they're making the extra effort to make it more derivative, and like the and the comics have fault in this too. Like you know, I think I've said it on the show before, but like there's a comic where like um, Captain Marvel, Carol Danvers, and She Hulk are playing like a game of snooker in a bar, and no one's looking at them, and they're like, and like Miss Marvel or the Captain Marvel's like, well, why is no one looking at us? And She Hulk goes. This is New York. This is the city where Galactus ruins your picnic. You know, <laughs> they're all jaded to it. You know. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I, 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 I don't suspect that there is much thought put into um, putting the scene setting and theme. I think that they just grab bagged. Well, what characters do we own? I still cannot believe to this day they got Tom Hardy. <laughs> they got him coming off Mad Max when he could have picked anything he wanted to do. But it's all the better for it because he's the reason those movies are as good as they are. Good is an interesting term of phrase. I love them. I love, I love those them movies too. so much. I love them too, but they're not like unique works of art that no, but... are flawless gems. No, but in terms of a sheer acting set piece, watch Tom Hardy acting against himself. Oh, as a as a nightmarish goo monster, will never not. I will take five more of those movies. <laughs> oh, look! I want to know what Andy Circus did to get uh, uh, your man from This Is England and Reese Pemberton into tiny roles in Let There Be Carnage. How did that happen? I, I, you know what? I will forever be sickened that they didn't commit to the weird curly wig for um, oh, for uh, Cassidy. Woody Harrelson. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, you know, there's still time. There's still time. But I'll tell you what. Did you see the end of Lower Decks? I did. I did. I finally let them kind of catch up a bit and uh, and and wrap that up. And I gotta say, I'm. I, I, well, I still think I stand by <coughs> Strange New World being my favorite of them. Mm. I, I'm starting to really see where you're coming from with with Lower Decks being a solid con- continuation of Star Trek's dramatic elements. <laughs> yeah, well, like, there's just something kind of very nourishing, I suppose, about Lower Decks. It's like, I was worried when it started off that it was going to be like a Rick and Morty clone, which was just like you know, doing Galaxy Quest, but edgy. But it's, over the seasons, it's found a real earnestness to itself. Its characters are real. It's not just doing, like, the typical Star Trek jokes. Like, it's now, it's transcended to the point that 
it feels like a real series and not just a spoof of Star Trek. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, where where they could have so easily made the entire crew of the Cerritos a one-dimensional punchline. Mm. Most all of that bridge crew and the Lower Decks crew have a depth and a richness and and, in, and an interwoven relationship thread between each other that is just engaging to watch. Um, that just kind of fleshes out the more you know. The more you know about them and the more you know about the, the larger Star Trek universe. Yeah, and um, it doesn't, and it doesn't, I might have said this on the show before, but it does a thing where I really like that everything in Star Trek is equally valid and worth celebrating. Like, you know, there'll be an episode about your usual things, like your Q and that kind of stuff and the returning characters, but there'll also be an episode about the Mugatu, the infamously worst monsters from the 60s, which is saying something, you know? So like that, every everything is approached with love, and there doesn't seem yeah. to be a degree of cynicism to it. No, and by that same coin, everything, no matter how lauded on a pedestal it is, is liable to derision. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, if there's nothing sacred, but everything's special at the same time. You know, it's a kind of a weird balancing yeah. act. Like because I think every I think anybody who has watched a significant amount of Star Trek can can know. You can't take it completely seriously. It's all of Star Trek is fundamentally a little bit silly. Yes. And that only gets cranked up to degrees of 11 from time to time. Well, that's why I'm not sure if you ever got around to watching them. But a few weeks ago, we talked about the the new the shorts. I did. I, did I, I, them, yeah. I did. The uh, yeah, no, the 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 first contact with the snot aliens is particularly yes. memorable. Oh geez, I uh, hate to hate to break your work uh, down. What happened to your work drive? Uh, we'll see you in first contact in a couple of decades. <laughs> oh my god! And like Spock, the delivering the worst blooper reel in history, <laughs> uh, and making everyone cry and get upset. Or like the my favorite was the the holograms all the way down. Yeah, where it's yeah. just like further and further into the madness. But like, yeah, no, I I really I like. I keep kind of waiting for the wheels to fall off lower decks a bit, but it seems it still seems to be consistently like solid and like this season especially, which I guess we're getting spoilers a bit. Really, kind of, I I'd be amazed. I'm amazed this wasn't the last series because it really feels like it brings the whole lower deckness together with its finale surprise. You know, like like are you familiar with where the kind of the original two lower decks episodes from like Next Generation like? Oh, it's been so long since I watched that. I think I I remember the Lower Decks episode from Voyager. Oh, okay. I don't know that one. It, it's fairly basic. It's it's the pre- I can't remember the the next gen ones, but uh, it's the basic premise of just three random Lower Decks members end up on a an away mission with Janeway, and have to learn to literally just have to learn to get along. <laughs> right. Okay. And well, I mean, look, there's it's basically covered in Lower Decks itself, which is impressive because it managed to compress a lot of very niche continuity into the flow of the story, at least maybe from somebody who kind of knew the stories. Maybe uh, maybe it would be different for yourself. But like, mm. basically, there's a really famous episode 
where Wesley is caught cheating on uh, his like. They're, they're planning like a starship stunt that goes wrong and one of the cadets mm. gets killed. And Wesley wasn't there, but he covers it up. And the actor playing Tom Paris is there. And basically it ends with the Tom Paris one being expelled. And, you know, the rest of them kind of take the fall for it as well. Oh, I vaguely, I didn't even think of this as I was watching it. it. It's it's one of the most famous episodes because it's got the a scene of like Picard, like you know, laying out all the Star Trek principles to Wesley's face, you know, and yeah. that's kind of the the bit everyone remembers. So for legal reasons, because you know the show always comes back to legal reasons, they wanted that character who got expelled, played by the Tom Paris actor, to be a main character on Voyager. And they did, but they didn't want to pay the writer. So they just renamed him, but kept the entire backstory. Which now makes sense why they kept yes. making the joke in Star Trek exactly. being like, he looks like yes. Tom Paris. So, yeah, for, okay. so I'm not, so I'm, I guess since you didn't know the story, but for the longest time, fans of Next Generation and Voyager were just treating him like the same character <laughs> because he is. Uh, but it gets even more complicated because all the characters from that episode, from that exam thing, except him turn up in an episode of Next Generation called Lower Decks, which is all about basically these cadets you've never seen watching, like you basically get to see what the, the life on Enterprise is like from outside the point of view of the crew. And okay. you only sort of see them in passing and all that kind of stuff. And one of them ends up getting killed. So like the Lower Decks finale is a follow-up to all that. They get the Tom Paris actor back. They get Wesley back for one line they write Mariner into their backstory and God bless the one who died in the original Lower Decks episode. She's like a dentist now. She hasn't been acting for 10 years. They got her back to <laughs> really? the two lines. Wow. Like, it should be really, really indulgent. But they find, at least to me, they found a way to make it flow and feel like it belonged in this show. Like having not known any of that, was it the same for you? Like, No, no. I like that. Well, I think it, it fit thematically with all of what Star Trek and Lower Decks has been doing. Mm. I like none of that. Like you've unlocked a memory that had been sealed away for a decade <laughs> of either of those episodes. Uh, so the none of that crossed my mind as I was watching it. Um, and I was just really enjoying the, I because something I always want to see more of in Star Trek is the idea of, these sorts of this sort of space in this universe mm. outside of the federation yes and just kind of i've, I've wanted a show from not the point of view of a federation character for ages like so like we, we get like out of a leaf of that in this um in this character trying to trying and failing to set up his own kind of united federation like separatists like yeah separatist yeah uh but it's 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 seeing characters react you know, react cumulatively in a way outside of Federation interests will always be fascinating to me. Yeah, and the series put the work in, because, like, I mean, I was talking to friends of mine who thought it was frustrating that, like, you know, at the start of every Lower Decks episode, this, like, tic-tac-looking thing in space would blow up a bunch of aliens, and then we just carry on like it didn't happen. But if you do go back and watch it in all of those little vignettes... 
it is like the Ferengi or the Romulans or whatever mm. from the point of view of the Lower Decks characters. That's it, I read. And, and then they end up coming back later. So there is that cohesiveness I, to it. Like. I did notice that. I, if I'm not mistaken, I think that the Klingons that get kidnapped are the are the same Klingons in the previous season. Where there was an episode from a Lower Decks. The Lower Decks of a Klingon That would make ship, sense, because yeah. I didn't realise the Vulcan character, who's kind of become part of the main four, she was oh, she from was. that episode yeah. too. Oh yeah, no, I picked up on that immediately. Yeah, no, oh, that's, okay. that's, that's, that, that was a whole See, thing. I didn't, because like, a Vul- like, you know, Spock's awesome, but a Vulcan's a Vulcan at the end of the day. Fair. I think I think I was watching. I think I watched season three fairly swiftly. Right. Okay. Four. Right. Right. So it, she was still in my mind. <laughs> Which and I, and I said it. I'm glad that we have her sticking around. I think I said it the last time we were talking about this show. There's something about just a Vulcan that is a good straight man. And oh, absolutely. And especially in a show that does get as wacky as Lower Decks, having having that just like like rubber to glue just. Mm. Oh, it's all it's 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 the greatest equation to comedy. Uh, oh, absolutely! And like, I just finished watching the original Star Treks um, mm. uh, on Netflix. Now I'm onto the God help me, the animated show. Uh, <laughs> but like, yeah, there's just like something that doesn't really translate to the other Star Trek shows, which is that a uh, Doctor McCoy and Spock, you put them in a room together, and they can talk about anything, and it's hilarious. <laughs> Like, you know, like kind of he'll go on his big human southern western doctor rants and like all kind of Spock has to do is kind of arch an eyebrow up and it's immediately hilarious. Like, so especially a show like Lower Decks where they're all they're not like crazy, but the characters are quite zany. And so having her there just observing it automatically makes it funny before she even talks, you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, like what what you're describing is why the voyage home is probably the best Star Trek movie. I it's my favorite, yeah. Um, like just yeah, Bones walking into that surgery and be like, "You're butchers, all of you." <laughs> Great, but no, I, I, yeah, Lower Decks. It, it, we, we've said it, and I think it still sounds true. It is, it is a show that is progressing what Star Trek can be while also endlessly paying reverence to what yeah. it has been. And, and like in the background, you almost, so much is going on. You kind of forget that a lot of character growth is happening. Boimler was in the captain's chair in the last episode. And oh, you'd yeah. almost miss it, but he was good in it too. Like, you know? Oh yeah. Like that's, yeah. Like he's, he's, he's far from the spineless coward. Yes. Uh, that we meet at the start of season one. He is still, Mostly a spineless coward, but <laughs> he has his wits about him. Well, in series three, because I know because you, you watched it recently, he decides to become what's the term? Not like confident Boimler or brave Boimler or something. And they start it as a joke, and it never goes away. Yeah, like he's just kind of he goes to hang out with the security team, and he's annoyed they're not shooting people. Like he's not a different character, but they decided on something and they stuck with it. You know? Yeah, I like. I mean, same with Mariner. You know, she would never have followed an order, let alone a order from her mother at the start of that season, and is now kind of relaxing into the idea of being a, a junior grade lieutenant. Yes, and, and that's. Oh, go on, well, and th- yeah, and that's and that's obviously not to speak to, to Tendi, who 
that's the cliffhanger that we're left with yeah. is now she has oh, there's to always a cliffhanger like, go back know. to Orion. But that's like and having un unpeeling that onion of her Orion heritage mm. and what that meant for her and her choices in life was a great mystery. And just seeing that character evolve to where she is now. Yeah. Except and now accepting her place as was the mistress of the Winter Constellations. Yes. <laughs> I know I don't want it to be too indulgent, but I do hope that something similar to the strange new world crossover happens again in the future. Because having watched Loki and see the guy who plays Rutherford in that in live action, he doesn't look too different. To be <laughs> Same goes for the Tendi actor, as long as you like, you know, painted her green. green. You know? <laughs> Potentially you see that every time. You don't want to tire it out. But something in the future, maybe, you know, if they ever do like that Picard follow up with uh, Jane, uh, what's her called? Seven of Nine as the captain, have Rutherford turn up, you know, well, something. I mean, I, I, I'll always strive for new as opposed to more of the old. No, but start, like so, sort I, of the continuity, like just some, well, some organic overlap, you know? That's what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is like, if we get something, if we get a new show kind of that's set in that in that continuity, mm. progressing on from Next Generation, D Space Nine, yeah. going forward in that kind of strange world thing. Another crew to have a crossover with could be good. Yeah, um, doesn't need to be like a main. Just like sort of wander in and out. Lower Decks yeah. itself is very good at having like a uh, Nog wander in for an episode or someone <laughs> like that, or not Nog Rom, and then wander out. You know, and like it's all fine and it feels like it makes sense. Like. Yeah, I, which actually kind of speaks to the I speaks to now. Obviously, there was disruptions because of the strikes and uh, and probably some holdovers from COVID. But I I don't think we really have new Star Trek on the immediate horizon. No, I assumed that um, the final season of Discovery would be out relatively soon, but there's no mention of it. Like they finished it ages ago. Did they finish that? Yeah, as far I remember like photos going up as they were making it. So like oh, wow. that was at least uh, a year ago. So Oh no, I I'd assumed it was still in production if it had started at all. Well, I mean, um, who knows? They could have filmed yeah. it and maybe post-production was shifted somewhere else or something. I do yeah. know that the lot, because I actually funnily enough, I I randomly met one of the special effects artists uh from Discovery, mm. and basically everything like that was the Discovery lot is now the Strange New Worlds lot. So oh. I assumed that, you know, one was replacing the other. And I assumed that the last season of Discovery would essentially be out by now because the space it's being made in doesn't exist anymore. But like, yeah, I don't know. Maybe in all the sort of showrunner changes and comings and goings and all that, it's just sort of like sort of being held in hiatus for a while or something. Potentially, yeah, no, for, for for what has been a pretty steady kind of drip feed of of of, of Star Trek, where kind of, I think we're going to enter a drain. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm not in a hurry. We've had three Star Trek shows this year that were all really good. Oh, of course. Or actually, Prodigy as well, so. Well, that's, yeah, like the ones on the horizon that I can think of now. So, as I said, Discovery Season 5 in its production limbo, whenever yeah. that decrees to be released, I know... You have mentioned that Prodigy, now not on Paramount, on Netflix, season one is going to launch, I think, at the end of the year, season two, sometime early next year. Yeah, they've, they've released footage of, season, of, of the, pre, the premiere episode of season two, so, like, it's fairly finished, like... 
and I cannot say how far along it is, whether whether it's even begun filming or not, or mm. if the strikes had interrupted a began process. But I know there was uh there was an announcement of a section thirty one movie. They've been kicking that around for ages, like you know. Yeah, but now they've decided that one's going ahead, starring Michelle Yeoh. I, you know what? I'll believe it when I see it. Yeah, that's like definitely. like that's been ki- that was kicking around for as long as they were saying that like the Inhumans movie is coming out. Oof, I'll, okay. believe it, I'll believe it when it turns up. You know, but that's that's like the only idea of what Star Trek has. Yeah. In, well, you in know, the we don't future. need another series. There's like five on the go. Just commit to doing them well, and when something organically ends, start up something new. I, I don't think you need to marvelize all of Star Trek, you know? Yeah, I suppose you're right. And it gives me time to eventually catch up on Deep Space Nine. This is true. We have one minute left. Tragically, we did not get to talk about Pokemon or the Doctor Who episode coming next week. But is there anything you want to say before we wrap? Um... As far as plugs go, you can always find me on Twitter at KevTalica94. I may try to send the link to Dara. As of Friday the 16th, I have music out. Ooh, cool. And what kind of music? I it is I, I play bass on an instrumental progressive rock track uh, by my good friend Dylan. Uh, he is at The Coma, Q-O-M-A, hmm. uh, on all good streaming platforms and socials and Instagram and what have you. As I said, I might try to send Dara a link. We'll see if that's in any of the in any of the descriptions on Spotify. Okay, all Just right. To say, that's that's future cast problem. Uh, but you will also mostly find me here most weeks. Lovely. Well, on that note, we will be back next week, probably with me ranting about Doctor Who because I'm more excited for that than anything else. Which is yeah, terrible yeah, because I'm best man at a wedding tomorrow. But how and yeah. You can, yeah, you can, you can sit in your high castle and say, no, I don't need more Star Trek. You know what you have. <laughs> you have no idea how much extended media of Doctor Who I go through. Seriously, <laughs> it, would, it would shock you. But anyway, uh, that's all for us for this week. So tune in with us next time. Thank you very much for listening and bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to a Nerd to Know Media production. 